Uh, very good morning to you all. It's excellent to sing these words, isn't it? Now the question which we are looking at today is a most sensitive one. Um, and I hope that I will not come across as cold or glib in any way. And as a church, we have dealt with sufferings recently, and I'm sure we're all aware. Um, but we all go through sufferings, and I'm not going to deny sufferings. I'm not going to stand up here and say that sufferings aren't really as bad as you might think, for that's not how the Bible deals with this topic. There is a present evil in this world today of sufferings. And it is very real. And everyone will go through suffering at some point in their life. And if you haven't done yet, then, well, you probably will do. I also understand that it is very different to look onto an issue like this than to actually experience it. You know, I could stand up here today and give an explanation of suffering and of why people suffer and of what you should be doing in suffering. But it would be very different than to speak experientially. And I must confess, I am young and I have not experienced suffering as many people here have. But I present scripture. And you know, in the Holy Scripture we have both. We have an explanation of suffering, but also an example of a man who suffered greatly. And I present the words of Christ. And he is one who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, because he suffered as we have suffered, and even greater. So I'd like to turn to Genesis 3. Now Genesis 3 tells us how sufferings came into the world. The question posed to me is, why is there suffering? And now this is explained very well, for it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now when he created this, it was good. There was nothing wrong with the heavens and the earth. There was no sin and so there was no suffering however as a result of man's sin and rebellion against God because man said to the Lord I do not want you to reign over me I want to be my own God when man took of the fruit he rejected God and man fell now you read Genesis 3 in verse 24 it says there he drove out the man and cast at the east of the garden, he placed the cherubim. The man was taken out of the garden. This man had all which man could ever delight in. He had the blessings of being in the garden with God. And there was no suffering. The lion would lie down with the lamb. And there was a beauty in that and there was a peace but because of man's sin, that was lost. And God judged man, for if God is good, he must be just. And he cast man out of the garden. Now there's two aspects to this casting out, and I want us to notice this. The first was a passive. You know, we read of this in Romans 1. This is a, a, a handing over man to his own sin. The Lord let man have his desire, and that was... To follow Satan rather than God. 
And this is what's happening until today. Men follow the course of the power of the air. That is Satan. And we live in a world corrupted by sin because that is what man has chosen. And the majority of sufferings which we experience can be put down to the corruptness and sinfulness of man. There's a war going on in Ukraine at the moment caused by the sinfulness of man. The injustices we see every day on the news of horrors of crime and murder are caused by the sinfulness of man. But I will say that there is another type of suffering and that is what is not caused by directly man. Things like natural disasters, tsunamis, floods, tornadoes, COVID-19... Dare I say the word? But this is all part of God's active judgment on sin. For God also sent a curse, we read of Genesis in 3. And he sent a curse on the world. And the world is now corrupt. And it's not as it once was. The world we live in today is not what God intended it to be. It is as it is. As a result of sin. Now I can give you that. I've really answered the question there. Why is there suffering? But I feel something of more use to us would be if we turn to a book called Job. Turn to Job with me. Job chapter 1. See, the, this question has been heavy on people's minds for centuries. Many would use this as a claim to believe there cannot be a God. People would say that if there is a God, he either is unable to put an end to suffering... Or he doesn't want to. He's either not sovereign or he's not good. He's either not in control or he's not benevolent. And neither of those is not the God of the Bible, and so we can shut that book and not read it. Well, I want to tell you today that although there is definite suffering in the world, and I will admit that, that God is still good and God is still sovereign, and we praise him for that. Job was a man who knew this. He knew it experientially and he could testify to it. Now we read here in Job, there was a man in the land of Uz, this is Job 1, verse 1, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. So this is about Job's character. This is Job's person, we're told here. He was a good man. Now, I'm not saying Job was perfect. Because Job was a man, he would have sinned. However, compared to other men, Job was good. He was also rich. We read there, there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. 
You know, this man was rich and also righteous. He was possibly one of the, 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 the richest men on earth at the time. However, he was a man of integrity. Now we read there as it goes on that you see in verses 4 and 5 that not only was Job uh, active in keeping his account clean before the Lord and offering sacrifices for his own sin, but also that of his household. Now we read there of these meals which his children would have had. Now I don't believe that these are particularly uh, sinful activities, however... It seems that they were a family gathering and that it was a good thing. However, Job knew fine well that his children might have sinned and they knew fine well what their hearts were like. And so every morning after Job had, after Job's family gathered together, he would come before the Lord. And he would bring them before the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive them. Job was a godly man. And from verse 6 to 12 there in chapter 1, we see a glimmer into something of heaven. Now really to understand this, well it's very difficult to understand exactly what was going on here, but it appears that this was some sort of review um, or or, uh, uh, sending out of the angels into their purposes. But in heaven, as, as the angels are appearing before God, so too does come Satan. Now Satan brings a claim against the Lord. So God says in verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Verse 9, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him? Satan was saying, no, I don't believe God, Job actually fears you, God. I think the only reason Job is a godly man is because you've blessed him. And it was Satan's purpose to destroy the faith of Job. He thought he could do it. He thought he had the ability to. And it's still his purpose today. And so the Lord says to Satan, he says, well, I will let you have Job. As long as you don't take his life, you can take his possessions. And because the Lord knew that he would remain faithful to him. For those who have faith in God, their faith has been provided to them by God. And that should be a blessed assurance for the Christian. But I also want us to note here that Satan could only attack God under the control of God. Satan had no power to touch Job unless God allowed it. Now that's a wonderful thing and that's because God is sovereign. Now in verses 13 to 19, the title of my Bible, Satan takes Job's property and children. And it's really a a, a fairly horrific passage of an onslaught of suffering to Job. All his livestock are taken. Everything which his riches were in were removed. His servants who were looking after them were destroyed. And his children were also killed. A terrible state of affairs. And it would appear that it was all in the one day. 
supernatural act of suffering. No coincidence, and I'm sure Job would have known that. Job's response we have in verse 20 and 21. Now this is really where I want to focus, because Job was a man who was godly and understood truly the answer to this question, if God is good, how can there be suffering? And Job knew in his heart the answer to that. And we can get the answer from what he says. Then Job arose, this is verse 20, Then Job arose and tore his robes and shaved his head and fell on the ground. Now I want to stop there because I want to show you that Job doesn't deny that there's suffering. He's deeply grieved by his suffering. And a Christian isn't one who never is grieved. But read on. And worshipped. And worshipped. Job worshipped the Lord. Everything had been taken away from him. Everything which he had. Even his own children. And he worshipped. Now how can such a man worship? Because we can't deny that it was under the sovereign control of God which he allowed this to happen to Job. But yet Job still worshipped. Now we see his reasoning in verse 21. Now read there with me. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we're asked the question, well, how could Job say such a thing? How could Job be of such a disposition after facing such suffering? Well, I tell you, it's because he realized that he came into this world with nothing. Everything he received in the world was by God's grace. And so God had every right to take that all away from him. Now that might sound shocking. But the truth is that we deserve nothing from God. Now this is the vital truth in understanding suffering. This is how Job could worship God, even in his suffering. He knew that, well, I'm entitled to nothing from God. I am a sinful man with the rest of mankind. And so God does not have to give anything to me, but I will worship God, and he has blessed me. And even though he's taken that away, he still deserves to be worshipped. You see, the reason we have such a question as this, of how could a good God possibly allow suffering, well, it's that in asking that question, we have a preconceived misconception in our mind where we believe that we are entitled to blessing. Entitled to blessing from God. And you know... Satan has deceived us to believe and we look to the world and see suffering and we say, how could God do such a thing to us? As if we were deserving to be blessed. You know, the Bible says something very different. Paul in the epistle to the Romans writes, for the wages of sin is death. Now the Bible is clear that all have sinned. And so by default, if the wages of sin is death, then all men deserve to die. Now that death is speaking of eternal suffering. And these are sombre truths. 
and I don't take them lightly. But the reality is that because we sin, we deserve suffering, eternal suffering. We deserve to be judged. You know, the question comes, how can God be good and man suffer? Well, God would not be good if he didn't judge sin. But the fact is that we are the sinner. And so in God judging sin, we will suffer. So this is where we come to the gospel. We come as sinners deserving of judgment, eternal damnation, suffering. And Job understood that. He understood he deserved nothing from the Lord, so he praised the Lord for all he had given to him. So what have we received? Well, we read on in that verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God didn't have to give us anything. I am a sinful man and deserve to go to hell. However, because God has been so gracious, he has given me eternal life. Now we know in that verse it's a free gift. It's not of any merit. It's not of any work in myself. I didn't do anything to deserve this. It's completely of grace. And it's in Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, this is why Christ is the centre of all things that we do here. This is why it says above me we preach Christ crucified. This is why we call ourselves Christians. Because a Christian is one who is saved by grace. Who is trusting in the work of Christ. You know, I said before that God is just, and so because God is just, He will judge sin, and therefore we deserve to be condemned for our sin. There's a punishment which was once on my account, which I was on the road and path to one day bear. But that punishment has been borne by Christ. It's been borne completely by Christ. And the suffering and the anguish and the pain which Christ endured on the cross was so that he might bear the wrath of God in my place. And I marvel in that. I'm amazed at such a truth as that. That the Almighty God would give his only beloved Son to be crucified for me. The question is not why would God allow suffering. The question is why would God send Christ to suffer for me? How could Christ die in my place? I deserve suffering but I have received eternal life. And if you haven't put your trust in Christ, if you're not a Christian this morning, well you can also have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever (coughs) believes in him should not perish, should not suffer, should not receive what they deserve but have eternal life.
eternal life. And so I pose you another question. Although I deserve suffering, how could God put Christ in my place to suffer? And this is what we marvel at as Christians. This is what we wonder at, that that Christ has borne our pain and borne our judgment in our place. That he has risen again, proving that he has completed the work for our justification. And now the Christian is one who is a such blessed soul. To be righteous, to be perfect, to be redeemed, to be justified, to be sanctified, that a propitiation has been made, that they are bought out of the pit and that they are now a child of God. A child of God. Christ suffered that I might be blessed in such a way as this. And so I will say, as Job said there, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I can say that through any suffering. No, I'm not saying it's easy to. But the Christian can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. For he is one who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And his eternal salvation is secure. So no matter what grieves and trials us in this earth, it is a short and small weight compared to the weight of glory. Now in 1 Peter, Peter is writing to... Christians who are facing suffering. Turn there to 1 Peter 1. It is thought that it was written about 60, 60 AD, round about the time of the great fire in Rome. Now what happened there was that Um, A fire started, really destroyed a majority of the the Roman capital. And then the Christians were used as a scapegoat. The Christians were judged. And they were said, the Romans said, oh it's the Christians who did this. And now these Christians who were um, told that they were going to be saved and they have been saved and they're blessed by God are now being killed they're being persecuted and Peter writes to them to comfort them because you know the Christian life is not going to be without suffering and you might say to me now but so yes very good a Christian is one saved but why does he still suffer well he still lives in a fallen world and I said at the start and I'll say it again that there is still a present evil of suffering even for the Christian but our gracious and glorious God uses that for good uses an evil for good uses the sufferings and corruption of this world for good and for the good of the saint now turn with me then to to 1 Peter 1 verse 3 And read there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Very similar to Job, isn't it? A man of the same mind. According to his great mercy, he hath caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, that's talking future, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who, now this is talking about the Christian on earth, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now verse 6 is important. Now remember he's writing to Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. If necessary, Christian, the height of all this is that even your sufferings now are being used by God to refine you for the purpose of his own glory. If necessary. You don't face any sufferings outside the sovereign control of God. And that same sovereign God is your loving heavenly father who is working all things together for your good. And that is for the glory of his own name. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, we started in Genesis, and we started there discussing creation. A creation made for the own glory and purpose of God. Then we discuss sin. A man turned his back on God, spat in the face of his creator and said, I do not want you, I would like to live my own life. Now a man faces the suffering and consequences of that. But our God is so gracious that one day we will be in the heavenly throng delivering praise and glory and honour to Jesus Christ. O blessed God, how kind are all thy ways to me. When my feet made haste to hell, Lord, thou saveth me. And so we finish. And we can say with Job, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For there is sufferings in this world, great afflictions, And the Christian is not exempt from that. But although God did not have to, he has been gracious. And I glory in the fact today that I have not received what I deserved. For he who was rich was made poor, that I through his poverty might become rich. That is, Christ took on my suffering and my judgment that I might take on his righteousness and perfection, that I might be called a child of God. Now let's pray together.
Our God and our Heavenly Father, blessed is your name for the glory of your grace towards us in Christ Jesus. For when we were lost in sin and darkness, you saved us and made us alive together with Christ. You sent your Son and in our place he suffered and died. And we deserve nothing but you have given us all things. And now we live as Christians on this earth with the hope of glory rejoicing in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray that you would help us to do this more and more this week. Living lives with our minds set on eternity. Being anchored and rooted in the truth that we are saved and beloved of God. And Lord we pray that if there is anybody here this morning who does not know such blessing. Who has not yet put their faith and trust in your beloved son. Who is still lost and is not redeemed. Lord we ask that you would save their souls. That you would open their their hearts and, and bring them to faith in Christ Jesus their Lord. For a salvation which will result in praise and glory and honour to you forever and ever. Amen.